Big news. This Wellness Couch podcast is proudly brought to you by the Wellness Summit, returning this year to Melbourne on August 17 and 18. Early bird tickets and all info at thewellnesssummit.com. Thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up for a Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. Here we are, up for a chat about the hottest topics that are important to you, inspiring you to awaken the change within. I'm Karen Smith. I'm Kim Morrison. And I'm Cindy O'Meara. And we have an amazing guest on today's show, our gorgeous podcast listeners, the amazing Alex Stewart from Low Tox Life. Now, we're going to be talking about all things mold, and you are going to want to listen up. I've been going through Alex's website. We are all huge fans of this incredible woman. And I can guarantee you, hand on heart, you guys are going to have a whole lot of questions that you're going to want to have answered throughout the course of today's show and then also at the end of today's show. So make sure that you've got a pen and a paper handy if you're out running or doing the grocery shopping or you're in the car. Get a pen and a paper because you're going to want to write down Alex's website and you're also going to want to write down how you can reach out to her at the end of today's show. So make sure that you hang around because there is so much information that Alex is going to be sharing with us. And of course, the three of us gals are going to be going to be giving you all our top three takeaways from today's show. So Alex, welcome, you wealth of knowledge, absolute legend in this field. Oh, thank you for being a chat. We are so grateful. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be with you guys again. I was actually trying to think about when the last time was. I think it was like two years ago. Isn't that crazy? Wow. Time goes so fast. Wow. Two years. Wow. Yeah. Time flies when you're making a massive difference. That's That's right. We're all busy changing the world. Yes. Alex, I'm seeing um, you a lot online and really being vocal about, you know, we've got to reduce the amount of toxins in our life. And two years ago, and I'll try and find that and make sure I put that in the show notes so that people can catch up on that part of it. But what uh, we want to talk to you about, and and I think that this is really appropriate this time because I have a young man who's a, he's been a, in my family since he was 15. He's um, an adopted son mm. and, you know, he's lived around the world and he's lived everywhere and he's living in this place in Redland Bay at the moment. And one day, about two weeks after living there, he woke up depressed and he's not a depressed young man. Mm. He woke up lethargic, tired, and he's got black under his eyes and he didn't know what was happening. Mm. So I told him to come up to my place for a couple of days and just see if the symptoms disappear, mm. which they did. Yeah. So I said, you need to go home and you need to figure out what's happening in that house. Um, and I suspect it's an old home in Redland and with, you know, our summers up here in Queensland, they're very mouldy mm. because they're so humid. So yeah. can you tell us how you came across mold um and and looking in hindsight how long it had been in your life and how you were affected by it oh gosh cindy it was it's been an epic journey to put it super super mildly um you know i I felt like a bit of a fraud three four years ago when i started to just have uh more and more symptoms piling on top of each other that were quite mysterious completely unrelated 
and that no one really had any answers for. And there I am being really vocal about eating whole foods and reducing toxins in all your personal care and cleaning. And, and I even educated, you know, how do we bring humidity down? It was something I was passionate about as well. We had dehumidifiers, but little did I know that uh, over the eight years that we lived in a water-damaged apartment... Um, one was a year that was in a horrifically bad water damage department that we realized very soon after and hilariously got evicted from when we reported it. Um, hello, uh, justice, <laughs> but the seven following years was far more subtle. So we found it in the end. Um, and then I'll go right back to the start in detail about sort of what was happening symptomatically so that people can, um, perhaps have a, a think about anything that they might have going on for themselves or any relatives they have or friends that have mysterious chronic stuff going on. Um, yeah, we found in the end through a dust test. So hired a mold lab, um, uh, Swiffer kit, it's called an Ermi test and they send you the kit and you dust 10 different parts of your home and then you send it back to the lab and uh, David analyzes the whole thing, tells you what species you've got growing there and in what kind of levels and whether you are in a water damaged or a risk building. And uh, you have four quadrants of results. So there's like the mild, you know, mold is living here happily as a small group of, you know, it's kind of like the microbiome. E. coli in a tiny amount is actually super useful in the gut, but it blows out and it's absolutely disastrous. Mold is part of our environment. It's not something you can ever be completely mold free anywhere, really, unless you're in the desert. Um, but uh, you have the safe sort of number one quadrant, number two quadrants like a little bit iffy and if you're someone prone to chronic inflammatory response syndrome, then maybe you'd be a bit symptomatic. Number two is you've really got to get out of here. Number three is remediate immediately, get the chronic inflammatory response person out of here because they will continue to decline in health. And it came back with quadrant four. And the journey to get to that point was epic. It, it was actually quite incredible how hard it was for me to get the, um, the mold illness diagnosis. Um, Can you just tell me um, what could you see in the house? Could you see uh, anything? Yeah, this is the thing, right? So it wasn't like one of those current affair expose kind of houses where, you know, they roll in with the cameras and there's black mold all over the walls and everyone's like, oh my gosh, mm. how are people living in there? It wasn't like that at all. There was a slight mustiness here and there, um, but we lived in a really lush kind of um, vegetation uh, street with those big, huge fig leaf trees covering all the buildings, of course, in shade, unfortunately. Not so great. Um, but um, it was all sort of living in the walls and it came out through the dust. That's where it, it manifested. So while we might have gotten a bit of mould in the bathroom here and there, like any house would if it got too humid in a bathroom, that's quite common. It's not even something to be super alarmed about. It was more the stealth mould growing through the cavities of the walls from water damage and leaks over the years with a landlord that basically just did nothing when it when there were big storms. And I remember when we first moved in, uh, there was a huge storm that literally a month after we'd lived there, we ended up having to move our mattress to the um, living room and, like, there was water coming down the wall and it turned out that the gutter um, was completely blocked up and, um, and the roof 
cavity had a couple of tiles that were cracked. And, you know, these sorts of things are so common, so heartbreakingly common because of the lack of um, justice around mould actually being harmful to people until we get it to be a recognised illness through our Medicare system and a recognised thing that uh, property owners really need to keep on top of for human health and for building health. I mean, it gets very expensive if you let this kind of stuff go. Uh, Full home remediations can cost as much as the home costs to build itself sometimes, um, depending on how bad it is. So, um, So we really just noticed a little bit of mustiness here and there. And I remember noticing that in the winter, the carpet felt a bit damp underfoot, like not wet, but you could tell when it was summer because it felt crispy underfoot, if that makes sense. Definitely, like you know, because I was thinking for it to be four, you know, you had mold on the walls, um, all through no. the bathrooms. No, that's no. So um, we will put down that test that you talked about in the show notes because I think that that's important that people get that in case they missed it. So I just want people to know that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, what? So was the, sorry, sorry, go on. No, 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 that's okay. Did you want me to tell you some of the earlier symptoms and then yes. how it progressed? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do that then. Um, so. The, the funny thing is, well, it's not funny because it was pretty tragic, but in retrospect, I'm someone who then releases the past and moves forward. So I'm, a particularly, I'm super cheery about all of this now and I think it's why I don't find it heavy to talk about because I very much close each chapter symptomatically as I move forward um, and I celebrate all the wins on the board. Um, but at the start, it was uh, resistant weight loss and brain fog. Now, there are so many people who go see... Uh, practitioner for these things and might go on supplements and try all these different things. But the thing is, because mold illness isn't taught in naturopathic um, degrees, it's not taught in medical degrees, it's not taught to any um, inflammatory illness-based specialist, it's not therefore a diagnosable question that people don't say, you know, more and more people are now, which is amazing. But People don't say, and they didn't say eight years ago when I started having these symptoms, now how's your home? Have you seen any mould? You know, because resistant weight loss and brain fog are two of the earliest symptoms because it inflames the brain more and more over time. And so, you know, I got to a point where I couldn't remember one of those four-digit codes on net banking. You know, if you have to pay someone new and you get sent the code, I would look at that thing like three or four times before being able to punch it in um, and make the payment. And that was just like, it was so frustrating because I feel quite like I knew I was a sharp person. I love a great debate. I started to become one of those people who could only say something Uh, you know, two weeks after the fact and come up with the good thing to say then instead of like right then in the moment like I normally would be. And I think this is why it's really important to hold yourself to the standards you know you have within yourself about the way you are. Um, No one can tell you that's normal. You know, you're aging, you're a busy mum, you've got a new business. If you know it about yourself, don't let that go and demand that someone helps you find that about yourself again. Does that make sense? Definitely. (laughs) Yeah, because I think honestly sometimes we just go, oh, okay then, and we think, oh, the health professional knows best, so I guess, Mm. you know, if it doesn't work, then, yeah, it must just be that I'm not getting enough sleep. And and so that's what it was like, and that's what it was like for about four years. And then I started to get migrating patches of skin pain 
and I started to feel um, shocked, electric shocked. So to the point where I'd just always sort of wince if I had to close the car door because I knew I'd get zapped, that kind of vibe. And this migrating patch of skin pain, I kind of got diagnosed very vaguely with a mild fibromyalgia, did a bit of a detox, did a whole bunch of intravenous C with a great doctor who was kind of, you know, au fait with a few woo-woo things back sort of six years ago. And um, that really worked. For, for a few months, I, I felt great, but then it came straight back. And, um, and then a couple more years went past. And then I remember starting to feel really severely brain fogged. And by now I had put on about 10 kilos. Um, and I'm tall. It's not something you see. So of course, when you try and say it to someone, even health professionals, friends, whoever, they're like, no, you look great. Don't worry about it. It's just, you know, you just, let's get these hormones right. And of course, if you're not at the root cause of what's causing your hormones to go haywire, they're never going to be right. So um, it, it's really, really does come back to that diagnostic questioning of starting to count the home, which Nicole Bilsner does so much amazing championing for to count the home as part of a diagnostic tool. Is your home healthy? because we really need to start accounting for that. Anyway, another kind of few months go past and just the little things start piling up until I get a teary eye in 2016, early 2016. And now I'm just like, God, I'm a public speaker, like standing in front of these rooms after rooms, like sort of trying to be really inconspicuous about the fact that I'm wiping my eye every three seconds because that's how much it was tearing. And, uh, and I was just about to go overseas. It was my godson's wedding. So I thought I'll go overseas. When I come back, I'll deal with this. But the interesting thing that happened was I went overseas and about a week into the trip, it stopped. And, you know, retrospectively, I go, oh, well, I know exactly what that was now. But back then I was like, oh, thank gosh for that. Whatever that was, it's great that it's gone. Don't have to worry about it. Came home, week later, tearing eye starts again. I'm like, damn it, okay, go to the ophthalmologist. Ophthalmologist can't get saline down the tear duct. I don't know if any of you girls have ever had to have an injection of saline down a tear duct. It's not comfortable. Um, wasn't lovely. It doesn't sound <laughs> lovely. Anything about the eye isn't lovely. I know, right? Yeah. Uh, but so she then said, look, unfortunately, this is now out of my scope. I have to um, refer you to an ocular plastic surgeon. And uh, so I went and saw him, the best in Sydney, he says, I can't get any saline down there either and uh, we're going to have to operate and actually put a stent in your tear duct to, to allow it to drain and, and open back up again. And he said, uh, in the operation, we'll find out what was obstructing the tear duct. And so um, no one in my holistic kind of landscape had any other answers for me. And I'm not one of those um, like hippies that even though I'm such a hippie, I'd, I also admit when something in modern medicine is really there to help me and I need it, you know, I'm, I'm fine with that. That's what acute care is for. It's magical, amazing. So I'm like, okay, let's have this surgery. And I did. And uh, I asked him in the follow-up appointment what he found and he said he found that it was just closed up. It was just like it had, um, it, it was, I mean, you know, he didn't use the word inflamed. Now I know that it was inflamed and that way, that's why it was closed up. But what started to happen, and we think my wonderful doctor, Dr. Mignot here in um, Sydney, she's amazing, 
she thinks that that general anaesthetic that I had in that operation was really the straw that broke the toxic camel's back um, because I was so toxic with mould by that point um, that the GA pushed me over the edge uh, and this is when things started to get really crazy. I started to get cardiac symptoms, so ectopic beats, palpitations, uh, flutters. Um, my heart just sort of stopped for a second or two at a time and, and I, I, it was the most bizarre feeling I've ever experienced, very, very scary. Uh, and so then I started down the road of going to a cardiologist, got the ECG, got the halter monitor on me for 24 hours, got the full heart ultrasound, uh, did a stress test, like the works, and a couple of thousand dollars later to be told, I don't need to see you until you're 55, your heart's fine. And uh, this is totally normal for women in their 40s to start experiencing these symptoms. <laughs> it's like, really? Oh. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's not. And by now I start getting nerve twitching and a tremor starts developing. And the kind of tremor where I couldn't hold uh, a book still to read it, I couldn't hold a plate still to hand to someone, I would be literally shaking. And uh, thank gosh I didn't go down the neurology side of things because that would have been another whole huge expense to only be told I was fine. Were, um, were you scared at this point? Were I was they- terrified. Yeah. I was absolutely terrified. It was the darkest experience of my life. And I know I'm a cheery person, so you might be hearing me now thinking, God, well, she doesn't sound like she was terrified. Mm-hmm. Trust me when I say mm-hmm. I was just, uh, oh, it was absolute. There's no other word than terrified. And, um, and so the twitching and tremor really brought on the sleep issues and so did the palpitation. So I would wake up as if someone had plugged me into an electrical surge at random times at night. I would then be, because I was twitching and tremoring, it'd be impossible to feel like I could get back to sleep, huge palpitations. I'd finally be super exhausted by around 7am and, of course, that was time to become the mum, to get the kid to school, do all that sort of stuff. So this went on for three or four months at its absolute worst and I remember booking a trip and there was a travel agent on behalf of the company that um, I was booking with and, uh, and it was a trip for LA and we were to go in March and the travel agent said, now is there anyone in your party that needs a wheelchair? And I remember thinking to myself, if this keeps whatever this is going as badly as it is in the increments of badness that it's going, that might be me. I've never thought something like that. I'm not a catastrophizer by nature. I'm not anxious. I'm certainly not a, you know, I'm just not, I always have seen the bright side and I couldn't find a bright side. And that was terrifying because I didn't know myself. And, um, and so all I could do to comfort myself in these massively awake, electrically charged moments throughout the night um, was to research. I poured over everything I possibly could pour over. And the first little inkling, because I thought so much happened after that general anaesthetic that I thought that's what I needed to fix. Like whatever that did to me, let's start there. Because that's when things got really bad. And, um, and the first thing I found was histamine, histamine releasing. I found a lot of information around um, a, a correlation between adrenaline being administered to 
uh, allow an anaesthetist um, to have a more, um, I think it's to have a little bit less anaesthetic in the cocktail. Adrenaline helps it be more effective more easily, so it allows them to use less um, drugs. Um, and the adrenaline can then cause your histamine to stay elevated after a surgery. And, uh, and so I thought, well, okay, let's just start by looking at what histamine I'm eating, what, what kind of histamine containing foods I could maybe remove for a bit. And it was the first tiny inkling of relief that I felt was literally to defrost a handful size of organic lamb and have it with a huge pile of rocket leaves and sprouts which are histamine re- um, reducing. Uh, and, uh, and I literally ate that two, three meals a day for a month and I started to feel a tiny bit better. And in the histamine um, uh, groups, I started to see the word mould popping up for a few people. Like, oh, yeah, the whole histamine thing really started for me when I figured mould was a problem for me. And so I was like, oh, what's you know, let's, let's have a look at that. I've never loved mould. I've always been quite angry about seeing mould. Um, and now I know that's probably my subconscious just knowing it is not a good thing for me. And so I went down that road, found Dr. Richie Shoemaker, um, the founder of survivingmould.com and the, uh, the doctor in the States who coined the term uh, chronic inflammatory response syndrome. So people who don't have a an allergy, allergic reaction to mould, like huge raised antibodies. In fact, what the issue is is they don't have any antibodies to mould and therefore their body just doesn't know they need to get rid of this stuff. So if those people are in a water-damaged building for any long period of time, it builds up and causes um, huge toxicity and inflammation in those people. And when I found his website and I looked on his uh, uh, symptomatic kind of uh, chart, like, the way he died with um, these major symptoms that people with mold illness experience. And I looked at that chart and I remember it was four in the morning and I wanted to have a party. It was like I found myself and everything I'd been experiencing on a neat little chart on, in the internet <laughs> at four in the morning and I was like, right, bingo, this is me. And, uh, and it was just, it was like the best bad news you could ever get. Right. You know, cause yep. <laughs> it's a, I mean, it's a shocker of an illness to get better from, especially because you have to do it all yourself on your own dime. There's absolutely no money coming back from anywhere kind of testing and products you need. Um, because it's not a recognized illness yet. And I use the word yet because I'm very hopeful that one day it will be, um, especially with the parliamentary inquiry into mould um, and how it affects human health in the government a few months ago. Um, but, yeah, that was really the end of wondering what the heck is going on and the start of working to get better. And then, of course, once I realised that, I had little glimpses into the last few years that really all just came back to me. So I, I remember in the really mouldy place that we moved from, got evicted from, um, I remember sitting and having my lunch while my little man, who was a baby at the time, was having a nap. And uh, I remember feeling like quite short of breath when I would sit on that couch and eat that lunch. And I remember feeling quite short of breath when I would read him his bedtime story. And a sense of shortness of breath is one of the earlier mold illness symptoms as well. But um, that didn't come back again until towards the end um, when I started getting the twitches and tremors and things again. 
So um, after that, and then this time that we were away and the little man was with the grandmothers half five days with one, five days with the other, I, I went to on holidays with my husband. We came back and because that, that house had been closed up and it was July as well and it had been a particularly wet winter, it had been closed up. We got home and I remember, and I'm someone who loves my home, I love my job, I love my friends, I love, love my life. There is nothing that would make me depressed about coming home to Sydney, nothing. I'm very, very lucky and grateful for that. And, um, and I came home. And I walked, I took my shoes off because, you know, shoes off. Um, and I walked in and felt the carpet and it was moist. And I sat on the um, couch. I started shivering and I, st- I had this wave of blackness fall over me, like just such a deep, dark blackness. And I had no idea what that was about and it didn't last. Um, I kind of shrugged it off a few days later. Um, but I'm convinced now, given the amount of brain inflammation and the amount of people who develop psychiatric issues with prolonged exposure to mould, and Dr. Mary Ackley has done incredible work exposing that side of things as a psychiatrist in the States. Um, I, I look back at certain dark moments or really anxious moments. This time it's Ollie was, my husband was just wandering around to the uh, bedroom part of the apartment. Now this is a two bedroom apartment. It's not a big place. We all know when we're home and, uh, and walking past a family member is not a scary experience. But it, I mustn't have realized he was coming or whatever it was. Seeing him turn around the corner, I jumped a meter into the air and couldn't breathe and had huge palpitations for two hours. Now, that is not normal. No one that, you know, that kind of anxiety is absolutely bizarre and you need to look at why you're experiencing that kind of jumpiness Um, because really that is just like a jacked up nervous system, isn't it? I mean, we all know that. If you've been in sympathetic state for too long, you just get more and more and more wired and that is what mould does to certain people over time. So, yeah, massive, massive realisation. You know, it's interesting. I remember years and years ago listening, you know, when podcasts first started or, you know, maybe it was Richard Feidler or someone like that and it was a a doctor um, talking about, and I I can't remember where she lived, but it was somewhere where there was a lot of rain Mm. and she she talked about mould then. That was the first time I'd ever heard a doctor talk about, you know, I want to know what their apartment's like or the house is like. I I go to their home, she said. So there was obviously that realisation. I think it was America though. There's that realisation and it's a pity that that realisation isn't here. Like I remember living in a house um, in Bendigo. It was like a 1850s home Mm. and um there was rising damp they called Mm. it back then yeah yeah exactly yeah it was called rising damp and I remember um my parents having to fix that but the thing is is there I don't ever remember the you know I say I don't remember anyone being ill but my mum and sister are dead so who knows oh my gosh well yeah you just you don't you don't know this is the thing you have no idea so it's so exciting that you are bringing this to light. So once you knew that this was it and this was happening uh, and you had a full understanding of it, Mm. what were the steps? Because that was 2016 we're talking, aren't we? 2016? Yeah, so it was 2016 that all the SHIT hit the fan. Yeah. um, Right up to the end of that year and into the start of the following year. 
And then um, that's when I figured it was the mould and, um, and I realised that I didn't have anyone in my health team that I was seeing that knew what to do about that in any deep way. And so I started researching online and trying to find a practitioner that I could see from the US who ha- had literacy around the issue uh, in, um, in mould. And uh, I just sort of started auditioning practitioners by what I'd heard them say online through interviews and um, podcasts of their own. And uh, it's actually quite an amazing way to see if someone's going to be a good part of your health team or not. You know, you get a really strong idea of someone's qualifications, the way they see things and and whether you're going to make good partners for your health. And I found a guy who was actually a chiropractor and an emergency nurse trained in his his, um, health field. But because he had a schizoaffective bipolar disordered son, he really branched out into um, trying to do absolutely everything he could research and wise to help his son and discovered uh, genetics, epigenetics, um, environmental toxins, and his name's Dr. Jess Armine. And he's just a lovely, lovely man and someone who really, really loves helping patients get to the bottom of their stuff. He's not afraid of a too hard basket. He's like, throw it at me. Let's figure this out. And I'll never forget my first session with him just thinking, I think I'm, I'm hopeful. I feel like I've been heard. I feel like I've been heard by someone who gets what's going on and I feel hopeful. And then after working with him for a few months and getting to a certain place, you know, uh, things that I started to realise were that people with mould illness, um, and by the way, this doesn't affect everybody. You know, some people can live in a mouldy place and actually thrive and be completely fine and their body can just keep detoxing it and uh, they're happy as Larry. My husband's one of those people. He was absolutely fine. Um, but it happens to about 24% of the population and it is thought that we have a certain gene mix that means we tend not to then be able to make the antibodies to mould and that's why um, a, a small, like that's why you can have one family member fine and another couple of family members not fine, etc. Um, but anyway, I worked with Jess for a while. We got to a certain point and through the time of working with Jess, I had interviewed the amazing um, local doctor who's been championing um, awareness around chronic inflammatory response syndrome. I'll call it SIRS from now on because it's way shorter. Aussies love a bit of a anagram, um, acronym, sorry. And uh, that is Dr. Sandeep Gupta. So I had him on the show um, and interviewed him and he has the wonderful Mold Illness Made Simple course. And, uh, and, and then I interviewed Nicole Bilsma. We did this whole webinar. She's the amazing building biologist and teacher of all things building biology to so many of our low toxes actually go on to become qualified building biologists. They love studying with Nicole. She's amazing. Um, And uh, so we did a a webinar that was really cool, actually. You can download it for free on my site. I want to get this information out to as many people as possible. And we, we traced back my symptoms right from childhood in living in different houses right through to then the full eight-year block that I was in definite water damage building. And it was really fascinating to have her as, as someone who's a naturopath and a building biologist trace that journey um, from what was happening to my body, which was amazing. So sort of started collecting basically more and more people who really knew about this stuff. Um, 
and then came across the local doctor, Dr. Mignot, who had suffered mold illness herself and, uh, and was an integrative physician who was helping people. So I then started working with her locally and, uh, and working with the wonderful naturopath, uh, Kate Johnston from Core Wellbeing, who's particularly passionate about inflammation and women's health and, and, and that's kind of um, that's kind of my health team. The, those two guys and, and an amazing acupuncturist, Daniel Waldman, have been just incredible over the last year. So it, it's not a fast thing to get over, and it often depends like how long you've been exposed dictates how long it's going to take to detox. Especially if your detox pathways are all jammed up, it can take a while to just edge them all open again to actually be able to detoxify rather than throwing a whole bunch of binders and detoxifiers like at someone. Dr. Jess has this fantastic analogy where he says it's like if you do that to someone whose detox pathways are all jammed up, it's like throwing all these cars in an eight lane highway and they're headed for a single lane exit. And, uh, and that for me just perfectly sums up, um, uh, like detoxification gone wrong. And so many people like, yeah, let's get you on a detox program, but often you need to get on a pathways program before you go on a detox program. You know, what I love is that you have a team because not everybody is an expert and it sounds like, um, you know, your team just works really well for you. And I didn't realize Sandra Gupta who is our local ah, yeah, um, of course. integrative doctor. I didn't realise that um, he did a mould course, so I must look that up. Yeah, it's amazing. It's really great for people who, because so few physicians and naturopaths and nutritionists are aware of the magnitude of this for pe- certain people yet. And so it really helps the patient become literate enough to guide their physician often or mm. to get practitioners to just jump off. It's like 150 bucks US. It's not expensive um, to become completely literate in a whole subject to be able to help our patients, colleagues, friends, family. It's amazing. So yeah, it is a great course. Alex, have you, can you tell me, is this, do you think the mould issue mm. and, and the mould, the toxicity that's been caused through mould, I mean, we've had mould around a lot longer than these last few years. It's sounding like the way you're talking about a new illness and yet have people been ill with this before, do you think, and that hasn't been um, acknowledged or diagnosed as something to do with the mold and it's just being let go like you say people then find out that there's nothing really wrong with them and no one can explain you're just one of those Mm -hmm. those people do you think it's a case of we haven't known what it is and it's or is it a new illness I think that's definitely a part of it. Absolutely. I mean, you've got a few factors. The research is starting to support that there might be a link between our 4G and 5G expansions and accelerated growth of mould in um, in places. Then you've got the issue, especially in Australia, of our building code uh, laws relaxing a lot in the 70s, a um, lot more cheap breakable materials, breakable pipes being used. So pipes that contract and expand in the heat and cold. Um, As soon as it's cold, they might kind of start to develop a crack. You don't know that pipe's leaking in your wall for potentially decades. Um, And then you end up with a really unhealthy home. So there's, there's factors that exist in the last kind of few decades that might mean that there would be more people getting mold illness. But there's also the issue that we've had uh, uh, illnesses like chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, 
um, rheumatoid arthritis, arthritis uh, in general, uh, these sorts of things that can also play out um, in the mould illness picture. And if none of those people are being asked about mould in that, those scenarios, then, yeah, it could mean that these people have been wandering around chronically ill and if mould was their potential root cause or part of the root cause soup, I like to say, because it's never just one thing, right, um, then, yeah, the, the, it, it could well have been a huge piece of the missing a missing piece of the puzzle for many, many people out there. I know it has been for me. I look back to the first time that I looked pudgy in a photograph and it was when we just moved to my childhood home and that was my first recollection of having resistant weight loss. Before then, I was a super skinny little sporty, like a regular kid who's tiny and, and runs around all day and swims up, up and down the um, swimming pool, like regular 80s kid. And, uh, and we moved there. And I remember there's heaps of pictures because I went as Boy George. So <laughs> it was, my dad loved taking pictures of that. My mum made me the colour by numbers shirt and you know so great but this picture I look like I have I don't look fat I look like I have a puffy face and I look like I have a puffy body and this is what this kind of inflammation is it's not often not like um thick fat tissue it's often just this sense of just being puffed up um and looking kind of yeah just looking puffy and inflamed and uh and that was my bedroom backed onto the laundry and it was a particularly damp place. My dad told me once we uncovered my mould illness, he's like, gosh, darling, I remember wiping black mould from behind your bed um, because it, it would get really mouldy back there. And, um, and so, you know, you just start to piece things together. And then I looked at my, all the places I lived in my 20s, you know, when you hop around with flatmates and things, and I'm literally skinny in some places, pudgy in others, skinny in some places, pudgy. And it's like it just goes up and down. I don't change anything particularly huge about my lifestyle or diet. Um, it really, for me, seems to be, and I think back to those particular houses where I was bigger, um, were water damaged or damp, kind of rising damp, as you said, Cindy, type places. What about cheese? People eat mould. People do eat mould. So there's different types of mould. Not all mould is harmful, but when you're trying to detoxify from mould, there can be many, I mean, you want to try and remove any kind of source of mould that could be um, contributing to your overall um, mould picture. I mean, if you look at something like Roquefort cheese, the French cheese, blue cheese, um, it has penicillin in it. And, you know, Frenchies eat that for cold and flu. That's their cold and flu tablet. That's what they, they go... If they're feeling a bit under the weather, they head to the cheese shop, get some look for and sort out their, um, their, their sniffles. So like there are some really great things about, I think to, to start to call mold evil and to start to try and eradicate it from every part of our life and being, I think is, um, is a denial that we are part of an ecosystem. And, uh, and I think, uh, there's, there's, there's many people who thrive on all sorts of foods, uh, traditional foods, and that does include dairy for some people and, uh, and fermented and cultured, um, and, uh, and those sorts of foods tend, it can be fine, but then for other people, they can weaken someone's constitution. So it's really, I, I don't like to call anything evil, 
but I definitely like to wake people up to whether in that reason, season or lifetime situation for them, is it their thing that's going to help them thrive? For some people, yes. For some people, no. I know for a year solid, I couldn't eat anything that was fermented, cultured, mold, nothing, no cheese, no ferments, all those lovely foods that I adore. I just had to get enough of this stuff out of my system. And, um, and now I can, I enjoy, um, my ferments again. I enjoy the odd piece of cheese every now and then. It's not something I eat a huge amount of, but you know, half French and all that. So, (laughs) you know, Alex, I'm sitting here listening to everything and I'm thinking, gosh, you're describing me. Oh, really? Well, it's interesting. Uh, But I mean, I think I I say that on just about every podcast, really. Let's just be honest. (laughs) Because I see myself in so many of the messages. So on every podcast you go, I think this is me. me. Am I a hypochondriac? I just, I I wonder, I I look at all of the people, not all, I look at so many people in society that are struggling with this puffiness and, you know, that struggle with the ferments and they struggle with, you know, the different things that, you know, it's just overwhelming almost. You know, there are so many things to look at there are so so go for it yeah no I guess you kind of already got the gist of my question it's like how do we how do we determine what's what and who's who and Mm, great uh, question such a great question and so not an easy one to answer but I'll give it a shot um I am a big reason season person and I am a big ancestral person. I think, you know, there are certain ways we have evolved to be. I think that we also have to acknowledge that the biological function of our liver that we were given many hundreds of thousands of years ago certainly did not sign up for the stuff that we give it today to try and process. So I think we need to um, be uh, more mindful than ever about how certain foods impact us because where that food comes from, how it's grown, how that animal's raised, how those vegetables are farmed, etc., uh, how that soil health is. I mean, hello, you know, we're going to have that amazing conference in a few months, Cindy, with uh, so many incredible people. I know. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, I'm just so glad that you are bringing soil to the front of the conversation because it's so important, right? So there are so many things that are intrinsically important to human health and then what the nuts and bolts of that are for the individual really varies. And not only does it vary generally, but it also varies at different times in our lives. You know, there are different requirements for a, uh, a lactating mother than there are for an elderly person uh, in terms of your macros and your micros and, um, and what foods suit our digestion at different times in our life. If you've been massively exposed to mold, for example, lay off the ferments for a bit, work on the gut, rebalance the hormones, detoxify the mold, then bring them back in because of course they're helpful, healthful for a wonderful um, microbiome. But it doesn't mean that if you're not having them that they become an evil food. It just means it's not working for you right now and you're doing a different mix. And that's fine and i think unfortunately we have this whole this food is evil this food is good and people trying to tell us no you've got to be a vegan no you've got to do keto no you've got to no you got to got to got to got to nothing you've got to think about the conversation your body's trying to happen 
have with you right now and, uh, and tune in because your body usually tells you some pretty good stuff, uh, especially if you're listening to it and not your microbes because that can send you down the packet of chips road um, if you haven't got great gut health. But do you see what I'm trying to say? I, just, I guess what my point is in answer to your question about how can we know and it can get more confusing than enlightening the more we learn is to really work with a team that doesn't profess to only believe in one way of eating or one way of healing and work with people in your health team. Um, and I usually think most people strike a lucky balance having about three people in their health team um, and, uh, and, and really have everybody's eyes wide open to what's working for you, listening to you. The patient has the answer. Um, and, uh, and to know when something's a, a die off symptom and when it's not, and you really need to reassess whether that program's working for you. You know what I mean? I think we need to be a little bit more fluid and open-minded about the individual's experience on their health journeys to find what's working for them at that time in their lives. Yeah. And I think the truth is, I think if a person is struggling, you know, it's not just going to be because you're puffy. There's going to be a whole bunch bunch of other symptoms there isn't there like the yeah. person will feel that it's highly likely that they're going to be on a religious mission to try yeah. and figure out how they can feel better because the symptoms accumulate and the scent you know you you just land up feeling like hell and then obviously like going through what you've been through is just so much more severe mm. um, yeah it's it's amazing actually i'm just it, it's it's a amazing that it has such a huge effect but it you know can be from so so is it is it possible that it you know somebody that is experiencing symptoms in their 30s or 40s mm. it could be a result of mold when they were eight or yeah four. well i mean it's a bucket right and if you just keep adding to that bucket over the years eventually it just spills over and goes ah can't do this anymore and that's when the inflammation just cascades and goes out of control and I suppose you throw on all of the, the other stuff like our chemicals in our day-to-day living and you, it's like that, that whole to our bodies over time. Yeah, it Plus is. Plus the mould is just all kind of totally. overwhelmed. Totally. Mm. I mean, I, I was still using all that stuff and still eating, um, you know, pretty much a 50-50 packets to produce kind of diet. Now I'm much more of a 90-10 kind of gal. Um, but, um, you know, it's really, it was there. It was all in my system trying to be processed and it was all, you know, having epigenetic effects. Like I really believe um, that the, the cleaner we can raise our kids, and by clean I don't mean that you can be dirty. It's more just like back to nature, back to simple, back to real food, all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Um, and in healthy buildings, because I'll always add that from now on with my experience, then uh, the, the less of a build-up in their bucket happens in their first kind of 20 years and, um, and the less likely they're starting to have all these haywire things happen to them in their 30s and 40s. It is not normal for 30 and 40-year-olds to feel like they are struggling and with no answers and a chronic illness picture. That is not, we can't accept that that's our new normal. You know, I remember years and years and years ago, um, my partner Matt and I, we were um, looking to rent a place while we were building. Yeah. And we moved into this little duplex on the water. And I remember 
there was so much mold in that kitchen and in the bedroom and in the ensuite. It was just, and in the carpets, it was prolific. And I think I stayed there three nights and then I started to feel asthmatic. I could mm-hmm. hardly breathe. And then I said to Matt, we just got to get out of here. I think it was after five nights. We just got to get out of here. And then we ended up having to go to court to get our bond back um, wow. because we just couldn't stay in there. We literally just could not stay in that place without me having a huge allergic reaction to it. Mm. I, just, so, I, mean, that I, could I honestly well have think that it's something worse. You know, everybody yeah, that's... could well have been. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's just interesting to think back on all of the times, you know, where we've lived. And I think most of our listeners would be thinking back now, well, where did I live? Where was I when I was a kid? What was it like? Because a lot of the times, you know, when you're first sort of starting out, you, you might live in older homes or, mm. you know, and those are the homes that are most at risk. Is that right? Well, not necessarily. Sometimes the older homes, especially if they're well-positioned, north-facing, really good pipes and well-maintained can often be a lot healthier than the new homes. I mean, you get a lot of buildings where the exhaust for the kitchen and the extractor fan in the bathroom and the extractor fan in the laundry all just head into a wall cavity. That's a disaster. Um, And there's no one holding any builders to account on that. Um, you know, so you can have a lot of modern homes, air convents that don't get cleaned out every six months, which they should be, by the way. Um, you know, a lot of situations that can land someone with a mouldy mess in a very new place, unfortunately. Not to mention all the toxins with the, just scary. the release of the gases from yeah, carpets and paints. Yeah. That's and right. Or from cheap building materials like lino on a floor. Off-gassing. Well, yeah. And the, oh, the off-gassing, of course, with the VO2. So, and that's another thing too. If a house isn't well ventilated, you're not getting rid of those toxins, let alone all the build-up of, of something like mould. So, Alex, can you give us some tips? If Let's say we may have a couple of these symptoms. Let's mm-hmm. say we're Karen and we are feeling like maybe we have some illness with Me, mold. hilarious. <laughs> But, but, you know, when you're sitting there questioning like she is and going, because, look, honestly, as you were talking about some of those symptoms, I could say I have a foggy brain. I had an eye issue just recently and I'm, I was doing the same thing, to be honest, Karen. And, and I'm just wondering, what's your advice? Firstly, if you've got some or all of these symptoms or secondly, if you're curious about mold, what can we do in the home to make it a better place? Yeah, great question. So I don't want people to ever feel like um, there's no hope because there's a lot of hope. And as we go year on year, there becomes more and more awareness of this. Sucks to be a pioneer, of course, but at least we are traveling in the right direction of awareness and what we can do. So from a home perspective, the best thing you can do is to keep your humidity down because mold there's two issues right it could either just be condensation inside that creates the mold because it's too humid inside or it could be water damage within the walls from a leak or you know dodgy tiles and all that kind of stuff so um for the first one condensation and an elevated humidity this is the easiest one to fix you invest in a couple of dehumidifiers good quality dehumidifiers choice did a a big comparison a couple of years ago that informed my decision to get a delongi dehumidifier the 500 ish dollar one 
um, because it was the most energy efficient. So it didn't cost an arm and a leg to run and it just collected buckets of water. It was amazing. Um, so we ran those in the bedrooms over the um, daytime and then in the living area over the nighttime when we weren't in either respective spot. And if you keep your humidity under 60, ideally under 55% even, then mould will not grow inside that home that's, that's under that humidity, which is amazing because that's something we can all control, that condensation picture. Um, and then, of course, open those windows. Unless you live on a main road, keep them closed at peak hour because it's really important for all the other kind of toxins that can be coming inside. But... Um, have your windows open. If you're on a ground floor level house, get bars so that you can open your windows. Fresh air is the enemy of mold. It just keeps fresh air circulating. It's wonderful. So if you work on your humidity, your airflow, if you own your own house, you might want to consider something called an HRV um, unit, which gets installed in a roof and filters fresh air from the outside and, and extracts stale air from inside and works to remove about 10% of humidity and dramatically reduces a home's need for air conditioning or heat, which is amazing from a cost perspective over like five years, even though it might cost a few grand to um, install. Um, and if you're a renter, um, if you've got the energy and the courage to contest an unhealthy home, do it for us all because the more people that do it, the, the sooner we're going to start to actually have people realise, whoa, this is happening to a lot of people. Um, write to your MP, say this is unfair, I'm a renter and this has happened in the home that I lived in and we got evicted instead of them doing something about the mould and, um, and really just make it your job to raise awareness. Think about the fact that we are collective of humans that should all sort of do things for the benefit of the, the wider community. And that just feels good to know that you're a part of that, I think. Um, and then if you've got a leaky tap, if you've got, you know, leaky shower uh, fixture, the best thing you can do is just don't ignore it. So many of us go, nah, I'd rather spend that two grand on a, on a family holiday this, uh, you know, let's worry about that next year. We're just, we're so she'll be right, us Aussies, and um, often to our detriment because little problems become big problems if we ignore them for long enough. And, um, and I just think, you know, if you're a homeowner, then just work on that stuff. As soon as it comes up, you get it sorted, get it fixed, make sure there's no pipe that's cracked in the walls um, because it's way, way more attractive to spend two grand on a repair like that than like 50 grand on a remediation. That's a disaster for the average household income. So um, those are just a few tips. And then if you've just got some mold, you know, growing in your, um, like on your bathroom tiles, just because it's super humid in there, best thing you can do is rather than get one of those extractor fans that go up into the wall cavity, like into the ceiling, you want to get one fixed, um, installed on your window that sends that humid air straight outside um, because then it can't collect in your building cavity in any way, shape or form. And, um, and it's just much healthier for the home. So those are a few ideas. And, you know, mould, if, if it just builds up on the odd tile here and there in the bathroom, that's completely normal. And just remove it. I, used, I usually say with a kitchen paper towel and some vinegar, 
Um, you don't need to go more fancy than that. Remove it and put that kitchen paper towels, what we use kitchen paper towels for, any kind of cleaning of windowsills and things because you want to, unfortunately, from a sustainability um, perspective, not ideal, um, but you want to rem- like throw that in the bin. You, you can't contaminate sponges and cloths and things with mould and then reuse them because they get well, I actually think that from a health perspective, if you had, and I'm only asking this for a friend, <laughs> it's, I seriously am asking this for a friend, <laughs> he got told that the rash on his eye, you, you haven't mentioned skin reactions. Mm-hmm. Um, is that a symptom of it? Because he's been told he's got a mold-related illness and he has a rash on both arms. And he's actually being diagnosed as that as a as a mold illness. Is that correct from your point of view as well? Uh, I'd want to know what else was going on with that person. There might be a few other things, um, but skin problems can definitely manifest. Inflammation is a beast. It can show up in any system of the body, including the skin. Absolutely. If you join, if anyone's kind of thinking, "Gosh, I need some more support on this," in Australia, there's a wonderful toxic mold support. Um, Facebook group, such a sexy Facebook group name, isn't it? Um, but it really is helpful, especially for newbies who are trying to navigate this for the first time. And the guys who put together the Toxic Mould um, Australian website is a wealth of information. It literally tells you all the blood tests that you can get, which ones are claimable on Medicare, which ones aren't, um, what doctors are certified in the Schumer Maker Protocol and other doctors that are aware of the protocol so they can at least help you on your way. Um, to clearing the mould, uh, building biologists, home remediators, all sorts of advice, um, a really, really useful resource. Um, but, yeah, absolutely, for your mate who's been diagnosed with mould illness and has skin issues, it, I've seen it in the group come up over and over again. Yes. There's all sorts of things that come up. Yeah. He also taught he has a bit of anxiety. Oh, and- yeah, that's a big one. And, yeah. I mean, how often do we just dismiss anxiety with um, a, you know, chin-up or worse, you know, go down the SSRI path. And that can be really useful in an acute situation where you need to to tame a situation and then work on your long-term game plan. But if we're never asking these people, you know, what kind of house do you live in? Is there there anywhere that you've noticed a pattern where you felt healthy in some houses and, and a bit anxious in others? And let's, you know, have a look at what those houses have in common. As I mean, as if that's happening in more than 0.01% of consults out there. So, you know, it's about patient awareness driving this rather than uh, it's going to be, it's going to take way too long to get the government to recognise it and then to get doctors being taught it in their degrees. Um, so, yeah. Alex, I know we're probably coming towards the end of our, our podcast and our interview with you and you are such a wealth of knowledge. You mentioned a little bit about this in your latest amazing book, um, Lotox life and i would love you to tell us a little bit about your book and and also this is, mold is not the only thing that you are incredibly um, aware and educated about could you tell us a little bit about, more about what you do i know we've had you on the show before but just for some of our new listeners oh for sure um, and also about your beautiful book which i know has gone bestseller and you've sold have you gone over ten thousand yet because i yeah, got, sure yeah. have yeah. <laughs> such an amazing thing congratulations oh, you. and how we can get hold of that sweetheart 
Yeah, so um, on lotoxlife.com, you've got the um, little book icon right on the front home screen of the website that tells you all the different places you can get it online. I don't sell it personally. Uh, I like to support bookstores that have amazing warehouses and picking, packing people rather than trying to figure that out myself. And um, and uh, it's available all around the world. So um, you can use your book depository to get that anywhere in the world, Booktopia, Amazon, all the things. Um, and really what I, that is about is a culmination of 10 years' work to uh, establish a really rock-solid definition of what great food is and how we can transition away from convenience thinking into real food thinking and uh, support our farmers, support regenerative agriculture. Um, and that really is the, the premise of the food, pay, food chapter to get people out of this idea that treats need to be Maltesers at the movies and that we need the little packets of lunch that we dunk in hot plastic into a saucepan because we don't have time to cook when really we, I could do so many things in the 10 minutes it takes for those things to cook um, that, uh, that it's actually quite mind-blowing now. So really developing food literacy. So that's the food chapter. Body chapter, we look at all the personal care cleaning. We look at that in the home chapter. Um, and I like to sort of give people really good lists of the main offenders on a label to watch out for and to, to know that you either have to ask more questions or to know that stuff's crap, I'm going to find a good swap. Um, and then some really lovely DIY recipes through the body and home chapters, as well as some feasting recipes in the food chapters. Um, and then the mind chapter, which really, you know, I think mental health is a huge piece of the puzzle of making better changes for us and the planet. Um, I, I talk about this a lot in that I've seen a lot of people try to go 100% organic or whatever and, uh, and being incredibly stressed, incredibly um, elitist and in quite angry at the world. And I just think, gosh, then we're just eating organic stress. Um, as Dr. Joe Dispenza says, and I think, you know, we've really just got to make sure that our minds are in check as we make good choices and that they feel good right down to our belly and right up to our brains because otherwise we're doing um, ourselves and the people around us a disservice in making these beautiful changes have negative undertones because we're judging people more all of a sudden or, you know, whatever that might show up for people as. So the mind chapter is just some beautiful ways to be mindful, to feel grateful, to be connected in our hyper-connected world, to actually be connected to the people we love and, um, and all that good stuff. So really it is everything about the low-tox life, food, body, home, mind, and perfect for someone just starting out. I think someone who's been at it for a while might pick up a few good things, but really I wrote that for the 10 years ago me who just would have found that and gone, oh, great, done, <laughs> instead of um, then having to spend 10 years trying to figure it all out and then put it in a book for everybody else to be able to do that. <laughs> it is a brilliant book and, I'm, and I was very honoured to get it um, from book. book Topia, I think I ordered mine through. So I just, yeah, I want to say thank you so much for the work that you do. We love having you on the show and you've got a very incredibly easy voice to listen to, Alex. Mm -hmm. We love the way you speak. Um, Cindy and Kaz, can I ask you, let's give our top two takeaways. What was your biggest takeaway, Cindy? Uh, root cause soup. I think um, <laughs> that was a really good term because 
you know, you see it everywhere. There are so many things happening in this world that I love that term. So that was that. And it takes a team. Yeah. It's not about one person, but it takes a team. And while I've got the, the stage, I'd like to let everybody know that Alex is speaking at my summit this year, my Functional Nutrition Summit this year. So that's at the end of July and on the Sunshine Coast if anybody would like to actually meet Alex and touch her. <laughs> <laughs> that's just weird. <laughs> it's gorgeous. <I> <laughs> Good. <laughs> And Karen, what were yours? Well, I'm the same sort of, I'm similar to Cindy in that um, I really love the takes a team aspect of what Alex has been talking about today because I think, I think so many people and I'm just thinking about the people that I know, there are so many people that just shrug off the stuff that they go through and it's very Australian. And Alex, you are so spot on with that. It's very Australian for us to go, she'll be right, I'll get over it, push through it, don't be a wuss bag, you know, get yeah, on with yeah. it. Yeah. Don't be so soft, toughen up, harden up, drink some concrete princess. I get that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but like you bring up a valid point because we do need to make sure though, the other side of that is that we don't um, cultivate a weak mind. You know, I've spent the yeah, summer doing sure. Joe Dispenza's work, building up a strong mind because I realized that chronic illness chiseled away at my mind and my ability to direct my body where I wanted it to go. I felt completely taken over by symptoms. Uh, and I think that's a really interesting piece of this to explore. If you feel like you're being taken over by your body and you have no control, then maybe we do need to work on our mind as well. Mm. Oh, look, I completely agree. I think that there's everything is holistic. Mm. You know, I see so many kinesiologists who can do testing, muscle testing with food that's straight out of a box and just full of preservatives and artificial stuff. And, you know, when they hold it up against a person's body, they muscle test weak. But then as soon as the person puts all their love and blessings and gratitude into the food, their muscle tests strong. Mm. So I think it's that it, it definitely is that combination between mind, body and soul that, you know, really brings full health and complete well-being, and that's just my stance on it. But I think, you know, in terms of a takeaway, it's definitely it takes a team, and I think that um, really just I think for people have a look present in terms of where prolific mould may have been or, or may have contributed to the health journey, and be proactive, be patient-driven with the questions. And I pity all of our doctors now <laughs> because really now uh, the more educated the more educated patients become, the more educated come to actually, um, you know, be able to provide informed answers for mm. people. So I think take control of your health and well-being, ask the questions of your health professionals, but have a team of people that look after you. So thank you, Alex. You've been amazing. Oh, thank you so yeah, much for you? having me. I, I think on the same line as you guys around a team, I think the other takeaway for me is also don't forget how individualised we are as well, that some people may not react to the mould the way others do, like your husband, Alex. And I think that was quite an interesting take-home because 
I honestly, I have seen lots of mould in my house and I've seen so many things in, in houses I've lived in. And, and I know we grew up in a very mouldy house, yet I am blessed, hopefully, to think mm. that I haven't been affected too much by that. I'd also like to remind people not to use bleach to remove mould oh, um, yeah. from their houses. But also the other takeaway, and, and I'm not going to open a can of worms here with the girls, um, but I'm really fascinated on this 4G, 5G expansion and I am a little bit blown away around how much this is now coming up in our conversations, Cindy and Karen, um, yeah. that now it's, it, we're even talking about it with moulds. So I don't want to explain it right now because I know we're going to talk about this in another podcast, but, you know, this whole thing of, of getting 5G, I'm not sure it's, it's the best thing for all of us at all. Mm, I'm not sure either. Mm. Yeah. Too much information out there that I don't, I don't know exactly why they thought that it was going to be okay, but they're basically saying that they're, um, they're expecting collateral damage. Mm. That's what they're saying, you know, yeah. and they're, they're expecting it and we'll put up with that and those that can survive it will survive it. <laughs> Lucky yeah. them. Yeah. The rest of us can just move to a hippie commune. Yeah, my farm's available. <laughs> I might come and just pitch a tent. <laughs> and you know what? It's really interesting. When I go to my farm, I can only get 3G. I cannot get 4G. It doesn't exist up there, which means there'll probably be no 5G up there either. So, yeah, yeah it'll be good. Mm. Cindy, we're all moving to your farm. Yep. Just so well, I'm, I'm thinking about doing an echo village. I've done all the work behind it, having a look at it, and I'm thinking, oh, it might work well. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? We can all what? build tiny houses and pop them on your farm, and away we go. Watch this space. <laughs> oh, it's so fun to snuggle the chickens. <laughs> Alex, you superstar, is there any message you would love to get across to our beautiful listeners before we go? What's your final message to us, sweetheart? I think tell us I, about your courses after that too. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, I think what I always love to say is because, you know, especially when we talk about a bit of a tough topic like this, it can really just blow a certain amount of people away. It can make them feel silly for never having picked up on it. It can make you feel ashamed, guilty, angry, all these sorts of feelings can come up and that's totally normal. But, you know, once you've indulged that for a few minutes or a couple of hours to stop feeling those negative feelings about what you didn't know about yesterday or the past and to really start thinking, right, now that I know this, what am I excited about changing from today? And let's focus there because then it stays a healthy, productive journey forward instead of, you know, carrying all our suitcases with us from the past. Not helpful. Um, and then when it comes to the courses, uh, we have six courses now, just about to release another three in a couple of months um, and really just love helping people kick goals in defined learning environments. Uh, Cindy, I know you have a bucket load of uh, online education as well, and I think there is just nothing like getting a like-minded group of people who want to explore a subject together either for their own health benefit, their family members or patients or clients if they're practitioners, and kick some goals. And we have those across GoLocox, which is the flagship one, which isn't for another few months yet, but you can join a wait list if um, that's the one you're excited about, um, where we just ditch environmental toxins across every aspect of daily life. And then we also have more specific goals around um, toxins and kids and how that manifests for them and how we can 
best look after our kids and make them grow up in a low-tox world or Preconception Ninja, which is helping people get ready for that fabulous horizontal tango they're going to do to make a baby one day and uh, also Inflammation Ninja, which was really born out of my mould experience but then starting to talk to other people who had other forms of chronic inflammation other reasons I thought there really needs to be a resource that helps people that one's amazing we've got Terry Wells in there Dr Stephen Sinatra 40-year integrative cardiologist um, uh, and a few incredible a few other amazing doctors in there that help us navigate the inflammation picture and uh, and for me that one is really about developing great patient literacy so that we can get to healing faster because what I see when it comes to inflammation is people spending, like I did, tens of thousands of dollars um, and getting absolutely nowhere and I think that's hugely unjust and I wanted to create a course that helped people move a bit faster through that journey. And, uh, and then Thrive, of course, which is our course that I have with the beautiful Brenda Janchek, which is Raising Kids Who Love Real Food. So that's the one where we tackle fussy eating and all that kind of stuff because I'm very passionate about getting it right for our kids from the get-go. Well, Alex, honestly, now that I'm off mute, this has been such an informative podcast and you've shared so much with us. And I think your personal story, so many of us can relate to. So thank you for being so open and sharing everything you've got to offer and all of your courses and all of the way that ways that people can reach out to you oh thanks guys we are going to make sure that that information is in the and as i said when we first opened today's podcast listeners you guys are going to have questions you're going to have things that you're going to want to inquire about because there's going to be so many of you and i can feel it in my bones already that are going to look back into your history or look into where you are right now and you're going to see that what you're experiencing relates to what Alex has shared with us. So please, guys, go to our Facebook page, allthews.facebook.com forward slash up for a chat and post your comments and your questions right there and we'll make sure that Alex gets them. Otherwise, we'll just go straight to her website and reach out to her directly. Um, you can also post your comments and your questions at allthews.thewellnesscouch.com forward slash up for a chat. Now, most importantly, most importantly, before you get off this podcast, head on over to Google Play or to iTunes and give us a five-star rating. We haven't said that for ages, so I think it's time. Go and tell everybody that you know about Up For A Chat. Let's spread the word and let's start reaching for a healthier community and a healthier world for all of us and for our kids. Make sure that you join us here next time on Up For A Chat where you get to become part of the ripple effect that's changing the world and we are always going to see you on the ride. All our love. Bye for now. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.